0: Hey, 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 how are you guys doing today? Good. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Man, it's, isn't it exciting? 2020's here. That happened so fast. 2019 just flew by in a blur. I don't know. The older I get, the faster time goes. I feel like I'm accelerating into the grave. <laughs> Am I the only one? <laughs> okay. Yeah, the Patriots feel that way too. That's right. <laughs> you know... If the the Broncos can't be in the playoffs, all I can do is be happy that the Patriots lost at home in the first round of the playoffs. Can I get an amen? Uh, Yeah, I heard somewhere in the lobby, oh, God is is real. (laughs) The Patriots lost at home. I was like, haven't you been listening to anything? Okay. No longer preaching the Bible. We're preaching playoffs. No, I'm kidding. That's, that's not what we're going to do here. <laughs> you know, guys, I want to say welcome. So glad to see you in church here this morning. Um, if, if we haven't met yet, my name is Matt. and My, my wife, Amber, and I, she was up here singing, but uh, my wife, Amber, and I are the pastors here. We'd love to get to know you. And the easiest, fastest, simplest way you can just say hi is you can text guest in to our office number. And it's, um, there we go. Yeah, I text guest in right there to the office number. And it's just a quick way to say hi. And, and we like to make new friends and, and we'll help you get connected around here. And at the same time, this is also the time where we will receive tithes and offerings. And so if you came prepared to give, you can give. You can text in again the same way. It'll connect you to our website, um, or you can go directly to the website and give. Or if you came prepared to drop analog, there are boxes here you can give there as well. So let's pray over the offering. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for being such a generous God. And because you've given so much to us, God, we can freely give back to you. And so, God, I pray that you would bless all the funds that come into this house, God. Let it be an exponentially blessed everywhere that it goes. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 So this is the first Sunday of the year. And for some of you, you're like, I think I remember seeing a table with three chairs last year. I don't know if you remember that, but um, we have a table and we have three chairs again today. And why would, why would you do that? Because this is what the Bible says. The Bible says that without vision, people will perish. And so I want to remind us today of what our vision is for the year of 2020 and the vision of our church and who we are as a church, where we're going and, and why we are going there. And so today we're going to be talking a lot about the table. In fact, the, the table is something that, that we say the church is the table and we come to the table to get fed. Jesus said he was the bread of life and, and we have the, the Bible, the word of of God, which is food that we can eat from spiritual food and be filled and forever and be filled up uh, um, be from that spiritual food. And so, so we come together as a church and, and we gather around a table, which is the church, so that we can consume the food. Now, there's a couple of famous tables out there, like Knights of the Round Table, right? Was that, was that a King Arthur's Knights of the Round Table? Do you remember who was the fattest king or fattest uh, knight at the Round Table? Circumference? No? Yeah? I know, yeah. It's because he ate too much pie. P-I. Yeah, all the math nerds are like, this is awesome. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's all right. You know, what did the table say to the chair? Don't worry, dinner's on me tonight. <coughs> that was bad. That's so bad, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. My wife asked me if I could clear the table after dinner, and so I stood back, I looked at it, and I thought, with a running, with a run, I, I could probably do it. So I didn't, though. I didn't. I didn't. <laughs> you know, I don't know about you guys, but for me, some of the biggest moments that have happened in my life have actually happened around a table. They've happened around a table, a kitchen table or a dining room table, maybe a, maybe a restaurant table. You know, some, some tables are, are in our life all the time. Everywhere that we look, there's, there's a table, right? Today, you're going to go eat food after this uh, church service, and, and, and you will sit some type of table structure to, to, for you to be able to set your food down. Maybe it's a small TV tray type table in front of your TV as you watch the playoffs, but, but you're going to have some sort of table that you're going to be in front of today. Tables are in our life all the time. They're everywhere that you look. In fact, did you know that that we, on average, as a human being, will spend 32,000 hours of our life sitting at a table? 32,000 hours. That's three and a half years of our human life, adult life, we'll be sitting at a table of some sort. We'll be sitting at a table of some sort. You know, at, at this table, we have good news sometimes, don't we? We have celebrations. We blow out birthday cake candles at tables. People gather around the table, the cake comes, and someone blows the candle out, and it's a celebration. It's a good time. But sometimes sometimes the table conversations are a little bit more difficult. We have difficult conversations around our our tables sometimes. Sometimes it's at a restaurant, or sometimes it's at your home, or, or sometimes, you know, there are conversations that need to be had, and the table is a place where those conversations will happen. Sometimes we're reconnecting with loved ones. Sometimes it's Difficult conversations where reconciliation can happen or it can be a place of healing. The table is a place where, where friendships are deepened. And the table is symbolic of family time. You're going to gather as a family and eat, eat dinner together as a family around the table. It doesn't happen every night, at least not in my house. But, but oftentimes, we will eat dinner together as a family at the table. And we have table rules. I don't know about you guys. No screens at the table, no phones at the table. No, no tablets, no, no technology. We set that aside so that we can connect with each other at the table. The church is the table. And we come together as a family, as a church family, to the table on a regular basis. Hopefully every week we come together and gather in this kind of a setting. You know, your family will gather around this table, but your family doesn't always just mean blood-related, does it? You've got people in your life that, that maybe they're not your same last name, but, but they're not blood related. But, but you have people in your life that are family, that gather, that they're close enough. And your church family to be the same way. A table is a place where, where we gather at the table. You see, our church is headed into a new season. And we started this shift last year and we started working our way this way. And, and, and the table, this illustration that I'm going to use today as a table is a reminder of, of the where we are and where we're headed as a church. The vision of our church is that, is that we're going to reach people who are, who are lost, who are far from God. We want people who are far from God to get connected to God. And that, that's who we are and that's, that's what we're about. You see, God is leading our church into this new season. And, and many of you have prayed for revival Many of you have prayed for an awakening to happen in our country. And, and, and you might not believe it if you listen to the mainstream news because they talk about mainstream, mainline churches that are in decline. But there is a whole nother rise of churches that are actually growing right now. There is an awakening and a revival happening in our country right now. And it's not the, the long-standing denominations that are seeing it, but it's the non-denominational and some of the denominational. But you start seeing a, there's a wave of young people who are coming to Jesus. There's an awakening inside of the millennial generation that's happening right now in our own country. And I, my prayer is that we would be part of it. That God would, that God would use us to be part of that reach that's going to happen to the next generation. That, that it wouldn't just pass us by. We wouldn't sit on the sidelines and, and watch it from a distance. But that we would take an active role in it. That we would start to reach the next generation. Because we're a church of all ages reaching the next generation. When you look around this room, you see that there are young people and there are awesome people all throughout the audience. And if you've been around a while, you know that, that I, I tell you this, is that my life is just getting better and better and better and better. And so I look and I think, well, in my 20s, it was pretty good. My 30s, it's a little better. My 40s, I'm in my 40s right now. And I think, man, life is fantastic. And I look and I think, man, you guys in your 50s and 60s and, and, and beyond, I mean, life must be just awesome. So we have our young people, we've got our middle-aged people, and we've got our awesome people here in the church. And as you look around, you can see that we have this widespread spread. We have young people, we have brown hair, we've got gray hair, we've got no hair. We've got all the spectrum here. But here it is, is that we're going to be a church of all ages, but we're going to reach the next generation. We're going to reach them, because they they need to be reached, because they need to hear the gospel. And if we don't, who will? If we don't, who will? It's going to take work. It's going to require us to make changes so that we can reach those that God is bringing to us. And I found this in life that you don't drift anywhere by accident, anywhere good by accident. You drift places, don't you? And where, where do you drift? You, you don't drift to, to greatness. You don't drift to a, a high level of significance. or meaning. you don't drift towards your goals. If you want to reach your goals, you have to be intentional about the direction that you are going. If you're in a stream and you want to reach where you're trying to go, the stream current will carry you somewhere. You will land somewhere in life. But it may not be the place that you wanted to land. Everything that is good and great in this world requires you to paddle and to navigate and to guide. It requires work. If it doesn't feel good, then I'm not sure if I'm going to do it. Well, if you base your life on your feelings, you will drift into mediocrity in every area because the easiest path in life is one to mediocrity. It takes work to go someplace intentional. And so for us as a church, part of the work of the gospel is this, Jesus said in, his, in the Great Commission, go into all the world and preach the gospel, making disciples, baptizing people in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's the mission of the church. Not our church. Yes, our church. All churches. That's our mission. Is to go into all the world and preach the gospel. You know, the natural gravity of every organization is to become insider focused. And it's no different in the church. It, but the gravity has become insider-focused. It's become focused on the people who are here and, and, and the, the needs and wants of those who are already in the room and neglect the needs and wants of those who aren't here, those who are, who are lost, who are far from God, those who are disconnected. It's easy to forget about what they need. You know why? Because their voice isn't heard yet, because they're not here yet. And so for us to just cater everything to what's happening here now inside of these four walls well, we would eventually alienate ourselves from those who are outside of our four walls. we got to be a church that reaches outside of our four walls, that goes and listens where you're at and says, what are the needs in the world around me, and how can I meet those needs? How can I go? How can I preach the gospel? The average Christian doesn't ever lead anybody to, into a relationship with Jesus in their entire life. They'll have been saved, but they won't ever reach back and try to bring somebody else into into relationship with jesus we're not an average church though are we we're gonna be a church that reaches back we're gonna be a church that reaches those who are far from the lord you see the gospel puts is a place of responsibility not just receiving if you receive medicine from the doctor there's a responsibility right you don't just take the big bottle and just chug all the fluid at once. No, 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 because that will cause some problems. Your, your, your kidneys or your liver might be crying out for help. You know, you might complicate things, right? But there's, there's responsibility. There's instructions. You take it this way. You take it with food or without food. Or, or, or you take this much and this many frequency of doses. Only this many doses are in the bottle of maybe it's pills or a liquid. And the gospel has responsibility. There's instructions. There's, there's something that comes along with the gospel. And if you've received the gospel, there's responsibility that comes along with it. Sometimes we can listen to a message like this and think, this message is for someone else. But I'm here to tell you today, that this message is for every person who's a believer. Everybody who is a follower of Jesus today, it's our responsibility to do something about it. You see, the gospel is for whoever. Whoever would hear the name of the Lord. Whoever would call on the name of the Lord. It's for whoever. Whoever would be there. Whoever would hear it. You see, Jesus died for everyone, for the whoever's of the world. He died for, for those who are lost, right? Amen. Like, I'm so grateful that he died for those who are far from him because I was once one of those. Like, he died for the, for the worst of the world. Can I get an amen? Right? Like, like, that's something that we've all can say, yeah, that's right. He died for me. Even when I was in my worst state, he still chose to pay the price for my soul. And, and he's paid the price for everyone's soul around you. Sometimes we can look at people and think, they're never going to follow Jesus. They're, they're too far lost. They're too gone. They, they, they reject Jesus. They reject God. They want nothing to do with anything. What you don't know is that the Holy Spirit, he works miracles. And one of the greatest miracles that he can work is to overcome those obstacles inside of somebody's heart. If we would just share the gospel. i tell you what, we're called to whoever God puts in your path. And there's a whoever in your life right now that I believe God has put in your path that you might be the the hands and feet of Jesus to help lead them into a relationship with Christ. Today we're going to look in the book of Luke, chapter 14, verses 15 through 24. And this is what it says. It says, When one of those who reclined at the table with him heard these things, said to him, Uh, this is Jesus talking, by the way, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But he said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. Everything is ready. He's saying that the food is ready. He's prepared something. He invited people. So this guy planned the banquet. He made a guest list. He invited everyone that would come to have a seat at his table and to eat the food that he had prepared. And so he's prepared it all. And he said to his servants, the food is ready. It's hot out the kitchen. It's ready to go. And, and, and so it's ready to go. And then he's like, come on, go holler at your guys. Go, go get the guys that you would want, we had invited. Go about, find them. Tell them, hey, it's ready to go. Come on over and let's eat. Come on, let's, let's eat. The party is ready to kick off. We just need you to be here. The DJ is plugged in. He's turned up. Things are about to go down. We got the band in the corner. They're ready to rock and roll. Like, like, we've got it all. We've got the coffee bar, the fire tables. Everything's ready to go. The party is jumping. I rented a disco ball. Like, come on, let's go do this thing. And he runs, the servants run out and say, the party's ready to go. Let's do this thing. And the servants go out and do it. And in verse number 18, you see, it says this, but they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, oh, I bought a field, and i got to go out and see it. Please have me excused. Wait, Dude, it's dirt. Like, you bought a field? It's, it's dirt. Like, like, what do you mean you got to go out and see it? This doesn't make any sense. But you know what? This is what happens, isn't it? Well, i gotta, I got to take care of my stuff real quick before I can go and do this thing. God, I know you're calling me to, to do this, but i got to get my house in order first. You know, God, you want me to share the gospel, but but I'm so flawed and imperfect. Let me straighten out a few things in my own life. Yeah, I'd love to talk to Susie in the office about Jesus, but but three days ago I was just gossiping about Bob, you know, to Susie, and she just knows that I'm, you know, I wouldn't, I don't, I don't want to be a hypocrite. I got to get myself in order first before I can I can go out and do what you've asked me to do. I, I don't know if you know this, but. We're all hypocrites because we're all imperfect people. We all sin. We all make mistakes. Even me. Every once, I know. Oh, my gosh, the pastor. But, but you know what I mean? Like, like we all make mistakes. We all have things that trip us up. That's the scandalous thing about the gospel is that we don't deserve any of it. We've done nothing to deserve it. But, but God says in the midst of your imperfectness, I'm going to send my son Jesus to build the way, to build the bridge and the path that you might be in relationship with me. In fact, it's because of your imperfectness that you need Jesus. And how great is it to say, listen, I'm imperfect. I know you're imperfect, but I'd love to invite you to church this week. Or or, "I, I, I would love to share, you know, who Jesus is in my life this week. I bought a house. I got to redecorate. I got to get myself set up here before I can go do this other thing. And, he, and then another one said in verse 19, I've bought five yoke of oxen, and i got to go and examine them. Please have me excused. Five yoke of oxen, you know, I was like, what the heck? You know, like we don't have yoke of oxen in our culture, right? That's not something we do. The, the oxen would typically be giant work animals, and they would hook up the big wooden yoke thing together, and they'd plow fields with them. It was like, it was like the tractor of the farm. You know, so I bought, I bought a new tractor. You know, I got to go check it out. I don't, I, don't, I don't know what you, you know, use for your work or, or what you would use for, for your, you know, laboring thing. What, when, you know, I just bought a new iPhone. I, I got to get this thing set up. You know, I, I, I just got this new thing that I got to go take care of. Another, another excuse, I got this thing that I got to go manage. I got to go take care of. I can't go and do this. And another said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. This guy, <laughs> this guy, you know, there's only one of two things. Either his wife has a wet blanket, never lets him do anything fun. And he's like, well, you just know what she's going to say. I just got married. Or maybe it's the other way around. It's like, no, man, we just got married. My, my wife, she's a whole lot more fun than your party over there. You know, so it could be one of the either ways, you know, how it could go. But, but you know, so he, he just got married. He's like, I got a wife, you know, let me, let me, let me out of the deal. I don't want to want to go. I don't want to do this thing. So the servant came back and reported these things to his master. And the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Well, go out quickly into the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. And the servant said, went and did it and said, Sir, you've commanded it has been done and, and, and there's still some more room. There's still more room in your house, more room at the table." And the master said to the servant, go out into the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. You see, God wants his house filled. Go out into the highways, into the byways, go get, go get whoever you can and let's fill up the house of God. Let's fill up God's house, right? That's what it's saying. For I tell you, none of these men who were invited shall taste my banquet. Listen, there's a meal that has been prepared at this church. Our kids' workers and our kids' leaders are, are studiously working to prepare a, a meal for the, for the kids. And it's not the little crackers and juice and it's not the goldfish. And, and it, it's, no, 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 they're preparing a spiritual meal for the kids. They're teaching kids about Jesus. It's not child care. They're teaching kids about Jesus and, and helping them understand who God is and how much he loves them and, and so that they can be in relationship with Jesus. Our worship team comes together and they practice and help lead songs so that people might sing about the, Jesus and, and, and sing and, and, and have some kind of a, an encounter and an experience with the living God. And we put in work myself and, and, and others on the preaching team who we put in work to help prepare the, the food. I'm the dude with the food. I bring in food and we, we get it ready every week so that others might hear the gospel so that they might have we have a feast here every single weekend. Let's invite the whoever's in to be able to participate in the feast. The gospel's hot and ready. See, the food was prepared, and and the invitations were sent out, and everybody was too busy. The master didn't just throw out the meal and say, forget it. Never mind. He didn't say, well, I guess I'll put it in the fridge, and we'll wait till tomorrow, and I'll just reheat it in the microwave, and then we can eat it when you guys are free. He he didn't do any of that. He says, no, go and invite whoever. Go and invite whoever. 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 We're going to be a whoever kind of church. A whoever kind of church. You know, like, like when you look around our church and you really start to, to pay attention and, and look around, you will notice that, that, that we are not a monolithic, one-way thinking type of group. In the halls of this church, you will hear people who are Republicans and Democrats Oh my gosh, how could that possibly happen? I know, we we let the Republicans in sometimes and 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 I'm teasing, but but you know, like we but you know we 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 you know why you'll hear that? It's because we don't unite under political affiliation. We unite under the under Jesus. We unite under because we're not trying to be the, the same way thinking everywhere we are. We're all chasing Jesus down. And here's what I know is whether you like this president or don't like this president, he will be gone in a few years, whether that's in one or two or 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 four or five, or you know, he, he'll be gone in a few years, but Jesus will still be on the throne. He is still the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And and it doesn't matter who comes in and out of political office in our country. What I know is that Jesus Jesus is the ruler and the Lord of them all. So we unite under his name and we go under his flag and his banner. You know, so we are multi-partisan, if you would call it that. You know what else we are? If you look around, we are multi-ethnic. I know I'm a, I'm a bald white guy, but, but you look around the room and you will find every shade and background of, of people that are here. We have black people and white people. We have brown people. We have people who are Hispanic, Mexican, South American. We have, we have people who are in different areas of the country. We have Asian people that are here, Europeans that are here. We have, we have every different area that you can imagine. We have folks here from Jamaica and from Africa and everywhere else you can go. You know why? It's because I think heaven's going to look like that. That, that, that there is a wide spattering. We're a whoever kind of church. We're not, we're not going to just be limited to one type of person. We're, we're going to be focused on reaching whoever would hear the gospel of Jesus. It doesn't matter who you are or where you're at or where you're from. You know, elsewhere, we're multi-partisan. We're multi-ethnic and we're multi-generational. We're multi-generational. You know know what I love is that when you're coming in the the front door of our church, you'll find find middle schoolers and high schoolers. You'll find middle schoolers serving in different areas of the church right next to somebody who is in the awesome category. There's Sundays that you'll find up here on stage in the worship department, you'll find a high schooler singing right next to somebody who's in their 70s. You know why? It's because we're multi-generational. We're not just going to reach one generation. We're going to reach all generations. Now, our decision-making is based on reaching the next generation because that's the one that, that needs to be reached right now. But, but so we, we are a multi-generational church. And I believe that this is the next phase of our church is that we will be a multiplying church. We will be multiplying church. That we will start to see not just addition but multiplication. God is in the multiplying business. I don't know about you, but I don't want to let the work that Jesus did go to waste. I don't want to, I don't want to take the food and just throw it out and be like, oh, well, maybe next week. I, I, I want it to count. I don't want to reheat it. I want to be able to be in a place where we're fresh food, hot and fresh out the kitchen, ready to go every single week and find whoever can come and eat and partake. So my question for you is this, is who are the whoever's in your life? Who are the whoever's in your life? And have you shared the gospel with them? Do they even know that you're a Christian? I had this experience yesterday. I was at a wedding. Met somebody. And he's like, oh, yeah, we work out together at the gym. He's like, I didn't know you were a pastor, you know. And I thought, huh, maybe I should, you know. At the gym, I'm like, just treadmill run, you know, don't look, you know, and just that I'm in a lane. But I started realizing that maybe this is a whoever in my life that I should have been talking to, right? Who are the whoever's in your life? Who are the people that maybe you have forgotten about that that God has, has in your path? Because I believe God put people in your path. He's put a whoever in your path right now on purpose, for a purpose, that you might share the gospel with who they are. In John chapter 6, verse 35, Jesus declared this. He said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. It's it's, it's more than just belief, though. You have to digest it. You can look at the bread and, and, and say to the bread, yeah, I believe it's there. But you've got to actually eat it and digest it. You can believe that God is real. In fact, I grew up in church believing that God was real knowing that Jesus was the son of God and having a belief in my heart, believing that he was real. I believe that I was a pastor's kid. Um, and so um, there was maybe a few days where I wandered from the path. But, uh, but, you know, like I believed it from a distance growing up as a kid. I knew it in my head. But there's a difference between believing it and saying, Jesus, you are the Lord of my life and making him the Lord of your life. You can believe something and not actually have him be in charge of, of your life, not, have, not be actually following him. There's a difference between the two. And and I can prove it because even the devil believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Even the devil believes that he exists. There's a difference between believing and following. And so many times we can get in church and believe, but we don't actually make him the Lord of our life. And we forget to actually put it in the place where I am following him, not just believing in him. We have the bread of life here, and the things that people are eating right now in this world, they leave them hungry and thirsty. And they aren't satisfied. They aren't satisfied. So many times people are looking for satisfaction and they turn to things that sometimes aren't destructive, but sometimes they are. Sometimes, sometimes it's, they've turned to, to something like the bottle or the pills or, or the weed or the drugs. And they say, I'm, they're using that to try to fill this hole in their life or, or to bridge this internal gap. Listen, put it down because we've got the bread of life. Sometimes you've got to put down your addictions and, and even your self-medications. Sometimes your self-medications aren't bad things. Sometimes it's, I'm just going to sit on the couch and binge watch Netflix every single night. I'm going to occupy my time so I don't have to do anything else. And I love a good binge watch on Netflix, don't get me wrong. But, but, if, if, but you know what I mean? Like You can't use that as the escape. Like, you know I, I think the bread of life fills you up. God gives you purpose. He gives you meaning. You see, He wants to know you, and He wants you to know Him. Not just know about Him. I can read a book about my wife. I can know all about all of her likes and dislikes and never actually know her if I don't talk with her, if I don't spend time with her. It doesn't matter how much I know about her if I don't actually know her. And God is the same way. You can know all about him, but do you actually know him? And here's what I know is that when you know God and when you submit to him and start to follow him, he starts to bring freedom in your life from the things that have been addictions and afflictions, the things that have been heartaches and troubles. And, and, and I believe in a miracle-working God that there are moments and times where in an instant, He just sets you free from stuff. And sometimes His has a process to be able to get you through that addiction or that affliction, that thing that you've been struggling with, that thing that's been, been holding, holding you in bondage. Sometimes it's instant, sometimes it's a process. God has His ways, and I don't know understand them all, all the time. But I know that He's a miracle-working God, and the more that you know, him, the more freedom he brings into your life. I had a th- few quick points off of this. number one is this is that we are the servants. We've been commissioned as the servants in this story. When you go look at it, God has made the, the way He's already provided the path his son has already come and, and, and died and paid the price and we are the servants that are calling people in to a relationship with him. You know this past Thanksgiving story in my house is probably similar to a lot of stories that happen around the country. And Maybe it wasn't for you this year, but maybe you've seen this in the past where, where there, you, you've made the food and, and people are watching football and, and I'm watching football and, and, and the, but the, the turkey's now done, the food's coming out of the oven, everything is ready to go and, and there's people working everywhere and then what happens? Normally grandma or somebody goes to one of the kids, typically the youngest one, and says, hey, why don't you go tell everybody that the food is ready? And the little one goes running around and goes, dinner's ready, dinner's ready, dinner's ready, dinner's ready. And in no circumstance in life would that little four-year-old be the boss of me and tell me what to do. But in that moment, I can tell you I will stop whatever I am doing and go join in because I know that there is a bacon-wrapped smoked turkey in there ready for me to just devour, right? There is some food that I know that I need and I want and I crave and I I can't wait for. And the four-year-old will come and tell me and, and, and I will come running because I know what's there listen you might not feel like you have the authority to be speaking in somebody's life but i'm telling you, you've been commissioned by the one who made the food to say come on let's go and get some people around the table because there's more room at the table who are the whoever's in your life that you can bring to the table jesus already gave the, p- the command so whose plans are you going to interrupt whose plans are you going to interrupt the table is the church where the gospel is preached and it's hot and it's ready and the first step is to bring them. Number two, the gospel comes with responsibility. We have three chairs here. And the responsibility of every believer is that we would ourselves help move from chair to chair to chair. But also as, as believers, we would help others move from chair to chair to chair. What are the chairs? You say, well, we'll, we'll get there in a second. But I want to tell you that, that the chairs are these different seats in the table. You know, growth In your relationship with God requires some alone time, but it also requires community time. It requires that there is is times where you are at the table with somebody, that you're at the table. It isn't typically done in isolation. In fact, the New Testament uh, demonstrates this thing. It talks all the time about we're going to meet in the temple and we're going to meet from house to house. There was the big gatherings like on the weekend, like what we do here, and there were small gatherings. There was big groups And small groups. Church, we do the exact same thing. We have big groups and we have small groups. Not because we're extra smart. Uh, We just read the Bible and thought, hey, look, there's big groups and small groups. We should do that. Like, it's not that difficult, right? And so that's what we do. We do big groups and we do small groups. Over the next few weeks, you're going to hear a lot about small groups. They're dialing up right now. We're going to start having sign-ups and information. And, And our hope and our desire is that everyone will be part of a small group. And here's why is that circles are greater than rows. When you're in the row, nobody knows. And you're in the row because, because you can come to church and, and have your plastic face on and be like, God's good. God bless you, brother. God bless you, sister. Amen. And hallelujah. You know, we can do all the church talk. In fact, it'd be awkward if you came into church and, 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 and it was, you know, you wanted to get real personal on a big group setting. That'd be a little bit awkward for you and for everyone else. They'd be like, this is weird. But when you're at somebody's house, when you're in a small group, now you have a small group of people that, are, that know you. They know you on a, on, a more, on a deeper level. And all of a sudden, around the table of somebody's house, typically, or the restaurant, depending which group you're going to, when they're sitting around the table, that's when the hard conversations happen. That's when the good conversations happen. The deep ones, the ones that, that are life-changing. God has done some miraculous things in my life, sitting in a row in a church service or in a conference. And, and there's been miracles that have happened in my life. But more often than not, the big monumental shifts in my life happened at a table at somebody's house. In a group, in a small group. Not with 100 or 1,000 or 10,000 people in the room. But with 5, 7, 10, maybe 12 people in the room. You see, growth happens in relationships. Serving together on Sunday morning, it's a fast way to make friends. It's a fast way to get connected. If you're new here, that's that's a really fast and easy way to get connected to so make a couple of friends. Get plugged in doing something that you like to do with other people who like to do it. You like to make coffee? Great. Let's go we'll make coffee with people that like to make coffee. You want to play in the band? Fine. That's a, Well, I mean, you got to, there's tryouts, but you know. Um, but, yeah, but you know, like, you find things that you like to do with other people that like to do it, and then, and then all of a sudden you start to make some friends and relationships real quick. But I'm telling you, you want to grow deeper in your relationship with the Lord, you start to find that in small groups too. You find a deeper level of growth there. There's deeper friendships that happen because they're focused on specific topics or, or activities. And so the three chairs of spiritual growth. Three chairs of spiritual growth. Chair number one is this one. See, in chair number one, this is the person that doesn't have a relationship with Jesus. Maybe they believe but they aren't actually following. Maybe, maybe there's somebody that doesn't even believe. They're just kind of here checking it out and kicking the tires. Chair number one in so many churches is empty because we focus so much on chair number two and chair number three and the hurdle for, for someone who doesn't know the Lord to come into a church and get plugged in is that they have to skip chair number one and they have to come all the way over to chair number two and this, this chair gets skipped. And that hurdle that's there oftentimes is just so great, it's intimidating, it's scary. People don't want to come to church because, because they'll, they'll be like, oh no, I, I just, I, I'm not like chair number three. So, I mean. But guess what? If you're a chair number one person, I don't expect you, we don't expect you to act like a chair number two person. If you're someone who's far from the Lord and, and, and Jesus is not the Lord of your life, guess what? I'm not going to expect you, nobody's going to expect you to act like that. Why would you act like something that, that you're not? Listen, here's the thing. I think in a healthy, growing biblical church, there should be a third of the church should be people who are, who are maybe not even Christians yet. But that's not us right now. we got to work on that. Chair number two is someone who's a, who's a newer believer, and what I would call maybe an immature believer. You have like the teenager believer. You know, like, like maybe you guys, some of you remember the teenage believer years. Sometimes you're in the middle of the teenager believer years. I have a, a daughter who is about to be a teenager. She is a tweenager, they call it now. And, and, uh, and as a youth pastor for a long time, I can tell you that, that, uh, that uh, teenagers have a unique set of challenges in their life. Their hormones are changing. They're, they're not a kid anymore, but they're not an adult yet. They're in this weird, awkward time of adjusting and trying to understand what's happening. One day they can be on top of the world, And 10 minutes later, they can be at the bottom and they can back up again and back down again. You know why? It's because their bodies are adjusting and they're growing. Have you ever been in your walk with the Lord and felt like some days it's on fire and some days you're having a hard time sticking with it? Some days you're like, God is the best thing that's ever happened to me, and then the next day you're like, man, I don't even know if Jesus is real. Like, Have you ever been through that? For some of you, you're in the middle of it today. I just want to tell you, you're part of the growth process. Don't get stuck there. You're maturing. You're, you're, you're growing up. Your, your better days are ahead of you if you're in that spot. Don't, don't get discouraged. I just want to tell you, don't get discouraged if you're there. Don't get stuck if you're there, right? Because if you're a 45-year-old person and you are still behaving and acting like a teenager, everybody thinks that's a little bit weird. Like that's not how it's going to go. You don't get stuck in that, in that age in life. You mature, you grow, you expand. God wants you to grow in your faith, and so don't get stuck there. So we got people who are far from God, people who maybe who believe but don't know and have following, haven't made Jesus the Lord of their life yet. We have people that have made the decision to make Jesus the Lord of their life, but they they understand the ups and downs and the roller coaster of of, of all the different stuff that comes along with us as you're growing. And then you have over here the mature believer. For many of us in the room, this is where we sit. We sit in this chair because our faith is secure. We we don't have the ups and downs of of the previous years. We, We now have this God-given confidence because we've seen God do so much in our life. Like, like whenever I have a financial difficulty, I'm not even stressed anymore. You know why? It's because I have seen God work over and over and over and over. I can look in my past to see how much he's done for me and in me and through me. I can see how far he's taken me. So, so now I can have confidence knowing that he's gonna to continue to be with me. He hasn't left me or forsaken me. As, as a mature believer, you have this God-given confidence and you've had some experiences in life with God and the Holy Spirit to where, to where you know that you know that God is real. And so what here's the responsibility of the mature believer. A mature believer is not to sit back and just, Look at that over there. The mature believer is the one who gets up and helps chair number one get people into chair number one. And you help get people from chair number one into chair number two. And as the person's in chair number two, and sometimes they're on this side of the chair, and then they're in the middle, and sometimes they're on this side of the chair, you're the steady hand that says, it's okay. You're growing. You're working through it. I'm here with you. Listen, let's just keep following the Lord together. The mature believer, I would tell you, the mature believer isn't the chair that's sitting back with their feet up and their hands back thinking, like, all right, I've arrived, That isn't how it is. The mature believer is the one who actually is up out of their chair more often than the others helping the others that are going. When you come to my house to visit, if you've not been there, you know what happens is is you walk up and you ring the doorbell and and then I look at the video camera and I go, okay, just kidding. Kidding. You're You're all welcome. So, um, but, you know, you ring the doorbell. I open the door. Hey, welcome. Come on in. I'm so glad that you're here. And, and come on in. Come on in. Yeah, you know. And, then, and within, within five minutes, I will probably say, have you been here? No, you haven't. And then do you want the, five, do you want the nickel tour? And then like, I show you around, right? I, if, you've, if you've experienced this at my house, I, I'd be like, yeah, let me show you around real quick. And I'm like, here's the living room and the kitchen. And, and here's where the bedrooms are. And, and then here's where the bathroom is, you know, because that's an important thing to know. And then well, somewhere along that line, it's going to be like, can I get you something to drink? We've got water. We've got juice. We've got tea. Here's some glasses. You want some coffee? You know, turn on the coffee machine. Let's. You know, like as, as my house, when you come to my house, I start to become very hospitable towards that. Chair three people. Let me talk to you. This is your house. And when a chair one person comes walking in the door, I don't know where stuff's at. I'm not sure how it works. What are the options Do you have orange juice, apple juice, water, coffee? Where's the bathroom? And in this building, my God, where's the bathroom, right? (laughs) And then you find it and you're like, is this it? You know, like it's, you're right. <laughs> I don't know, that's a rabbit trail. So, but you know, like you, you, as a mature believer, guess what? We're helping those who are in chair one get in and get settled. And then, and then we have patience and grace for them. And, and, and we're praying for them all the time. Like, like, God, would you just get a hold of their life? And, and then as they move through, we're going into chair two and a chair three. Listen, if you want to grow in your faith and your maturity, the fastest way that you can grow in your faith and maturity is to find a way to focus on chair one. I believe it. Find a way to focus on chair one. Because if you are in chair three expecting chair one to get up and do everything for you, that isn't going to happen. Well, I've already paid my dues. Yeah, I volunteered in kids for five years. And uh, now I'm, uh, you know, I, I did my part. It's time for the new guys to do their part. That's not how the house of God works. That, that's not how your house works. Now, I have people that walk up to my house and don't ring my doorbell. They just open the door and come on in, Right? And then, I'll, I, you know, I'll be in watching the football game, and I hear the door open. I'm like, hey, is that you? And they'll be like, yeah. And I'm like, okay. I hear them going in my kitchen and ruffling, rustling in my, in my, in my fridge, and, and they come around the corner with a drink and sit down, and, and like, what's the score of the game? And, and we're in there talking and get out of my couch when I know they're coming over, and they just come walking on in. You know why? Because they're not a chair one person in my life. They're, they're actually way over here at a chair two or chair three person. Sometimes as a chair three believer, as a mature believer, we can get, we can get stuck here and we can think that everybody else is there and they're not. We can forget about the chair one people in our life. And God has called you and I to reach the whoever's, wherever they're at, wherever they're at. Mature believers from infancy through adolescence into maturity. You know, chair one's going to ask some difficult questions. You know, there's things sometimes that as a mature believer, we've, we've, we've just been doing it for so long we forgot. Well, how do you know Jesus even lived? I don't know. He just did. Right? They'll ask you some tough questions, and, you, and it challenges you because then you're like, well, why do I believe that? I mean, I know I settled that one time in my life, but, but if you haven't had the chance to think about it for a while, when you go hang out with some chair one people, they're going to ask you some tough questions. They're going to ask you things like, oh, yeah, that's right. I need to go back and, and remember these things. It'll help you grow i got to tell you, I'm so grateful and thankful for all the mature believers that are in this church. This church has been around long before I was around. I've only been the pastor here for three years, coming up on three and a half. And the mature believers who have built this church, I want to say thank you to every mature believer who has built this church. The people who have been here for years and years and years. Some of you have been part of this church longer than I have been. My family moved here in 1991. My dad was the pastor for 25 years but there are some people in our church who are part of this church before my parents even came. And I want to say thank you to everyone who has given and who has helped build this church. We did it together. We've done it over the years, and I'm telling you, thanks to everybody who's been the inviters and the servers and the givers, those who have given of their time, talent, and treasure to help build the kingdom of God here in Albuquerque. Our church is growing. Our church is is is, is reaching new people. And I just want to make sure that, that as we move forward, we don't forget about chair one as we are, have a, ch- a church full of chair two and chair three people. We need to find more chair one people into whoever's and invite them and start filling up the church with some chair one people. It might be a little bit messy. It might be a kind of church where you don't want to leave your wallet on the seat and walk away. And that's okay. That's how it should be. I keep mine locked up because well, you be new people. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. You know, when I was a kid, I'll close, I'll close with this. You know, when I was a kid, I, um, uh, my family and I went on vacation. And uh, we went on vacation to a place called Lost Lake. Many of you may have heard this story, but, but I tell you, this is such a passionate thing for me that, that I've, got, I've got to tell it again. And, and when I was lost, I, was, uh, I went to a place called Lost Lake, and my, my, my dad had a motor home he had borrowed, and, and so we were down at the lake and hanging out, and then we went hiking, and, and uh, we went hiking in the woods, and this is Oregon, so, so now you know here in, in Albuquerque, the woods is like three trees per square mile there's three trees per square foot and they're tall and they're huge and it's dense and there's moss on everything and, and there's a everything has a nice fine layer of pine needles on it you know because there's trees everywhere in Oregon and so we're in Oregon and we're up hiking in a place called lost Lake and and we've been camping we're up hiking and our whole family is up there and and my myself my sister my brother my parents and, and we're, we're hiking up into this thing well I was 12 years old I was a teenager if you will and I was having some some emotional roller coastering and 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 so in the middle of this I was a little bit snarky, a little bit talking back to my, po- my folks and my family. I know it's hard to even imagine, but, but I had a bit of an attitude going into this hike because I was 12 and everything sucks and I don't want to do it, you know, and, and, and that's just where it is some days for, for, for a teenager. And, and so we're hiking into this, this mountain and we go up into the hills and, and then we're coming back. And, and, and as we're headed down, my parents are like, Matt, keep up. Come on, Matt, keep up, keep up. We're moving. And I'm like, me 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 me, kicking pine cones, and and, and you know, mean, me me me, keep up, me me me. I wish I had a different family, you know, and 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 so, and we're going down this path, and 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 they're moving ahead. Eventually, they just got tired of yelling at me, and they just kept walking. So my mom, my dad, my brother, and sister, they get to the bottom of the hill, and, and they're hanging out, wait, waiting for me. And I'm walking down the path, and I, and I'm looking, and I and I and all of a sudden, I come into a fork in the road. I didn't notice the fork on the way up, but I saw a fork in the path on the way down, and I'm like, which way do I go? And I picked. Poorly, and I went the wrong direction and I found myself lost in the woods not knowing where I was at my folks are at the bottom looking for me and I'm at the top, I'm in the hills I'm not sure what to do you know and, and I, I can only imagine what happened after this point point. and I pieced together the, the pieces after they told me but here's what I know they didn't do they didn't go well Matt's lost well I got two out of three not bad right we're doing well we're winning more than half of my kids are here right you know if we win one of those family of four vacations it's way easier now we got a family of four they didn't go well you know what the zip line is still open kid do you want to go run on the zip line again the paddle boats are still open let's go jump on the paddle boats wasn't that so much fun And it's actually easier with four people than five let's go jump on the paddle boats let's do a canoe ride again like let's go back to the game room and shoot some pool and play some video games like like it was like one of those family type camping things. they didn't say let's go do all these fun things because because isn't it isn't this gonna be great two out of three is good we're happy with that no 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 what they did is they ran around and like matt where are you matt where are you they pick up. They get to a camp guide and camp people there, and they're like we lost our son. He's about this tall. He has no hair. It's weird. And so he's he's lost. We can't find him anywhere. We can. And they're on radio, You know, niner niner. We got our lost kid. And, and they're they're around running around on golf carts. And, and my parents are running around everywhere. And and they they can't find me. They've run up and down the trail. They're like, where's this guy at? And, and meanwhile, I'm off the trail. I'm now. I find some asphalt, and I'm like, well, here's a street. That's got to lead to somewhere. And it's kind of on a hill, and the lake was at the bottom of this hill. And I was like, you know, science. And so we're gonna go down hill and we're going to find the place. So I get back down to where the campground is. I finally find it. I'm like, oh, thank God. I'm so tired. I go into the motorhome, to the back bed and I lay down and I go to sleep because I am exhausted. They're running around all over looking for me. Can't find me anywhere. Eventually they find me, right? We're okay. I didn't die. Listen, that's the heart of God. Two out of three isn't good enough. Gee, it's just a lot easier if the church stays small because then, they, you know, there's less work. You want to go run on the zip line again? How about the paddle boats? We should do this fun thing because that's fun for us church people to do. Gee, we should do that fun thing because it's, no, 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 no. Listen, the heart of God is that he is looking and seeking and calling out for those who are far from him and disconnected. Connected. His children are all over this planet and he needs your help to help call them in to help get them connected, to bring them back home so they can get back in connection with him. That's the call of God. That's the heart of who we serve. Two out of three isn't good enough. He wants everyone. Will you bow your heads? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I just thank you so much that you sent your son, Jesus, to um, to make a way for us to be back in relationship with you. God, I ask that that you would help each and every one of us answer the call, that you would help each and every one of us to find the whoever's that are in our life, to be able to to find those and call them back into relationship with you. God, your kids are lost, and, and we're here on this earth to help find them. God, open our eyes, open our hearts to be able to see those who need you. You might be here this morning. Every head is still bowed, every eye is still closed. You might be here this morning and and maybe you are that person that you're like, Matt, I'm in chair one. I don't really know the Lord or or I don't really know him. I've heard about him. Maybe I even believe in Jesus, but but you you haven't made him the Lord of your life. Today would be a great day to make that decision. I wanna tell you that when you move from chair one to chair two, when you move from I'm not, he isn't the Lord of my life to a new believer, he is the Lord of your life. There is something that shifts inside of you. There, there, is, there is a welcome home moment that, that Jesus has with you. And today can be that day for you, right where you're at. Nobody's looking around. And if you say, Pastor Matt, today is that day for me. Today I want to make that decision. Here's what we're going to do: is that we're going to make a we're going to say a prayer together. And you can just repeat after me when we do this prayer. But it's as simple as this. It's A, B, C. You admit that Jesus is, is the Son of God. And maybe you've already done that. But you B be, believe that He is the Son of God. You admit that He is the Lord of your life. You admit that, sorry, you admit that you're a sinner. B, you believe that He is the Son of God. And, and C, is that you confess Him as Lord of your life. It's A, B, C. You admit you're a sinner. B, believe that He is the Son of God. And, and C, you confess Him as the Lord of your life. So here's what we're going to do. We, church, just repeat after me. Dear Jesus, I admit that I'm a sinner, that I've fallen short of your standards. I believe that you are the Son of God today, I confess you as Lord of my life. Help me to live for you all of my days. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Church, let's celebrate those who maybe made a decision today. God, I just want to tell you, don't let today be a, a finish line. It is a starting point for a new chapter in your life. If you made that decision, you can text into the office, or you can grab me in the lobby. I'll be hanging out afterwards. God bless you, church. Will you stand with me? Let's sing one last song before we
1: Lord Jesus, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Have a wonderful week, and Happy New Year. I'm going to do it again.